By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Emerging Markets Decoded. My name is Scott Phillips, Head of Emerging Markets at Moody's, and I'm joined today by three of my fantastic colleagues, Lucy Via from Paris and Igor Simeoyofo and Mick Bayer from London. Welcome to you all. Now, over the course of this week, we have been keeping a very close eye on developments in Nigeria, which of course is Africa's largest economy by GDP following the presidential election last weekend. Now, earlier in the week, Bola Tinubu from the ruling APC party was declared the winner by the Independent National Electoral Commission. Now, that being said, both of his two main rivals, Atiku Abu Bakar of the PDP and Peter Obi from the Labour Party, have raised the prospect of an appeal against the result, despite Tinubu offering the hand of friendship and the prospect of working together. And while it's still pretty difficult to predict where all of this is going to lead, it's certainly true to say it's coming at a time when Nigeria faces challenges on multiple fronts. Now, despite its vast natural resources wealth and favorable demographics, the new administration faces wide-ranging fiscal pressures. And what happens in Nigeria over the next couple of years will be critical with a big impact across the African continent, across emerging markets, and indeed the rest of the world. So let's get right into it. Now, Igor Simi, you've just moved to London from Lagos, so I want to turn to you first. Now, looking at this election, I guess some of the outcomes were widely expected, but, but there are definitely a few surprises too. So what do you think this tells us about the changing political landscape in Nigeria right now? Hi, Scott. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I think most people at the beginning of this would have said that Bola Tinubu was the front runner, and indeed he was. But the sort of margin, I guess you could say, of the results was was not really the expected outcome. I mean, you had Peter O'B, who, as a third party candidate, was surprisingly competitive when you look at the overall votes and also some of the states he won. He won in Lagos, which wasn't expected. But then Tinubu won in Rivers, and then Abu Bakr won in Kaduna. So there was a lot of like sort of bucking the trends, if it, uh, if if you will. And you know what it kind of just points to is that there's a, not just the the two more established parties anymore. And I think the engagement with the youth is something that should be highlighted here. Of the nine and a half million additional voters for this election in terms of registrations, pro approximately seventy six percent of them were between the ages of eighteen and thirty four, which is a sort of younger, more technologically savvy generation that at least in social media and news etc seems to lean more towards Obi. and of course you know specific voting patterns aside and turnout levels aside i think the overarching point where this is concerned is that there is now it seems there is now room for more sort of credible third party in nigeria and again is a departure from what we've come to know as the norm with the sort of two sort of legacy parties in apc and pdp 
of course, you know, with the process, <laughs> well, this isn't this isn't the first time we've seen a less than flawless implementation in Nigeria. Obviously, what what's going on now with the new NARA redesign policy and how that's been rolled out, the difficulties that have come along with that is, is something you can point to. But I think, you know, if we just kind of look at the glass, maybe half full, or at least I'd like to look at it as half full, that, um, you know, these technological changes are coming. There are standards and processes that are being introduced but they won't come without their fair share of, you know, sort of hiccups. But yeah, that's my take. Thank you. No, thanks, Igor Simi. I think just listening to you there, I think what you said about technology and, and how, how that's really engaged the youthful population in Nigeria, I think it's been really a key feature of this election for me. So thanks a lot for that. I mean, Lucy, maybe t- turning to you next. I mean, we, we downgraded the rating of Nigeria at the beginning of the year. Can you maybe just talk us through what the rating right now uh, assumes? You know, what are your forecasts? What are your predictions for, for the current rating of Nigeria? So when we downgraded the, the, the rating to CW1, and it was in advance, of course, of, of the election uh, early in February, we took the view that the imbalance in the government budget will continue to grow. And that's specifically regardless uh, of the election outcome. Alongside the uh, fiscal deterioration, we expected Nigeria external position will continue a rot, and that despite the central bank's attempt to prevent financial outflows by restricting access to dollar, uh, a, a long-standing policy or, or way of managing the effects in the country. So why di- did we take that view? Probably two key drivers. One, the fall in Nigeria oil production. Massive in 2022 and actually started before 2022. And then, of course, uh, the continuation of a very generous oil subsidy. Both have dragged down government accounts by a significant extent. One additional probably factor is the higher cost of borrowing. It's not specific to Nigeria, but that is affecting the Nigerian government too amid monetary tightening. I guess the, the the last thinking we had was that With fiscal pressure will come always external pressure in a country like Nigeria. Indeed, this is because the government's borrowing from abroad, so from external sources, is typically an important source of foreign exchange. And so when it loses its access, this inflow of foreign exchange uh, would taper. Thanks, Lucy. I mean, I think a lot of those issues that you just talked about there, right? I mean, oil production, the various exchange rates, the cost of financing, I mean, clearly these were all big fault lines during the election. So in your view, I mean, as the new administration comes in, what will, be, what will you be looking for in particular when thinking about where we go from here, about, about where, the move, uh, where the rating could go up or down? So if we really think about moving the rating up, we need to see a reversal of what brought the rating down in the first place. And so because our drivers were mostly fiscal in nature, uh, we need to see a degree of fiscal improvement. The key for us would be to see a renewed impetus toward reforms uh, with tangible implementation steps. Uh, and in curious, specifically, uh, clearly, if we saw the start of the removal of the old subsidy, not announcement, but, you know, all subsidy being removed uh, progressively, that would be a, a positive sign for us. Uh, beside that, improvement in non-oil revenue, which is endemically low at 4% of GDP, improvement in the oil production outlook would be also uh, positive signs. On the downside, 
However, the markers would be more around liquidity pressure. Uh, we're starting from an already low uh, rating level at CWA1. So next step for a further rating downgrade uh, would be really to see some difficulties in the government accessing uh, the necessary borrowings to cover for its deficit and to refinance its debt. And in that regard, much higher interest rates or wider deficit would clearly indicate that a liquidity crisis is building up. I think that the, the last one aspect of the credit profile that I want to flag, and that is very important in case of Nigeria, is that we are not concerned about the size of the outstanding public debt. Uh, it's small uh, by any standard. We're more concerned about the sheer size of revenue devoted to paying interests, because these revenue are not therefore available to finance critical funding that would uh, foster the development, economic and social development of the country. I mean, that's, that's that's clear. Thanks very much, Lucy. I mean, Mick, turning to you next, I mean, Igor Simi has talked a, a little bit about it at, at the beginning. There's been a lot going on in, in the banking system in Nigeria in recent months, right? Uh, we've had some pretty severe FX shortages uh, and more recently, uh, a redesign of, of, of the Naira, which, which of course is, is the currency in Nigeria. So what's the latest here, Mick? Sure, Scott. So uh, let me first start with the foreign currency shortages in the country which we expect to pressure the liquidity of Nigerian banks. As you know, Scott, the, um, you know, the significant decline in domestic oil production, which Lucy was referring to earlier, higher prices for import of refined petroleum products, as well as some capital outflows have together caused FX shortages in the country. Now, the implications for the, the bank's FX liquidity are really twofold if, we, if you were to think about the transmission channels, right? The first channel is that the FX shortages faced by local non-financial corporates pose some risk to the liquidity of the Nigerian banks through the trade finance activities that the banks have with those local corporates. Uh, and then the second channel is that uh, the large amount of foreign currency uh, lent by the Nigerian banks to the central bank also pose uh, an additional liquidity risk to the banks. Now, on the separate topic of the Naira redesign, which uh, Ikosime was talking about earlier, we expect that the redesign policy will have limited impacts on the bank's profitability, but creates operational challenges for the banks, particularly over the short term. And this is because the difficulties that were encountered in implementing the policy in the country have increased significantly the amount of customer complaints, have pressured the bank's IT systems, and also raised the reputational risk for the banking sector. Okay, got it. So, I mean, just listening to you there, I mean, it sounds like there's clearly a lot a lot going on, a lot of noise, but probably the FX shortages that we talked about at the beginning is probably the the, the, the bigger impact in terms of the banks, the liquidity, as, as you just mentioned. I mean, and coming back to the election, um, do you see any disruption that could affect the banks at all? Or, or do you think they're really used to dealing with these kind of things? I, I may be thinking about maybe a short term, you know, reduction in, in business activity, or maybe you know, problems administering new loans, for example. You know, how, how do you see that, Mick? Sure. Nigerian banks are used to dealing with challenges. So um, we expect their, their performance to be broadly resilient this year. This really reflects the fact that they have significant experience in operating in a challenging and volatile environment. However, a potential delays in the formation of the government or potential social unrest amid the contested election could pose some risk to the banks. And just to give you a little bit of, 
of color here. If there was to be potential delay in the formation of the government, that could potentially weigh on the credit demand and on the business activity in the country, which will affect the profitability of the banks to some extent. Uh, and potential social unrest uh, amid the contested election uh, could potentially increase the operational risk for the banks. Um, so, as I was saying earlier, I mean, there are some risks, but Nigerian banks are used to dealing with those challenges. So, overall, the performance should be broadly resilient. Okay, well, it's nice to finish on a, on a more upbeat tone. Listen, uh, lots to think about with this election. Uh, we're going to look forward to monitoring what happens in Nigeria uh, over the next few weeks and months. Thank you, Igosime, Lucy, and, and, and Mick for, for joining me at short notice today on another episode of Emerging Markets Decoded. Uh, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. Uh, join us next time for another episode. And in the meantime, if you have any comments or topic suggestions for future episodes, please feel free to, to get in touch at empodcast at moody's.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.